Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, an independent voice for liberty, an oasis of sanity and civility, a breath of fresh air, this is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Happy Friday! Aren't you glad to hear that? I hope it uh, resonates within your soul this morning. And I hope we give you some things to be encouraged about as you go into the weekend. Encouraged, inspired. You know, yeah, along the way. I'm sure you also be inflamed. (laughs) Ticked off. Disturbed. Angry. But we don't want to leave you on that particular note. I do want to start with a story of hope. We continue to watch the unfolding drama out of Turkey and Syria with the death toll. Just sorry. I think the last number I saw was over 20,000 people dead. Not surprising at all. We had indications it was going to be this bad. I'm not sure. It may have been yesterday morning. I told you the story of the little girl. The baby that was born. Actually, in the midst of the earthquake rubble, her mom delivered her. The tragedy of the story is mom died. This baby was still attached by the umbilical cord to her mother. But she was saved. The little girl was saved. But we have an update on what has happened to her since her birth in the midst of so much death and destruction. We now have a name for this little baby girl. Her name is Aya, which is Arabic for a sign from God. And we've also learned that despite the loss of her family, that she will not be alone. Her great uncle will look after her with the death of her mother and the wreckage of their home. Her parents, all her siblings killed. Her great uncle, Salah al-Badrin, will take her in once she's released from the hospital. The tragedy of this story is, in addition to all that she has suffered, Salah al-Badrin, his own house in the northwest Syrian town of Jenderis was destroyed as well. He and his family did manage to escape the one-story building, but now he and his household of 11 people, they're living in a tent Isn't this another friendly reminder to us to be thankful for what we have? In a conversation with him, he said, after the earthquake, there's no one able to live in his house or the building. Only 10% of the buildings in that community, in the town where he lives, are safe to live in. The rest are unlivable. 10%. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Rescue workers discovered Aya Monday afternoon. This was 10 hours after the quake hit. They were digging through the wreckage. Buried on the concrete. Still connected by umbilical cord to her mother. Her mom was dead along with her husband and four other children. What a horrible turn of events they believe that Abu Hadaya probably gave birth to the girl and then died a few hours before they were discovered we named her Aya so we could stop calling her a newborn baby (laughs) simple enough 
the good news the doctor says her condition's improving by the day no damage to her spine as they initially feared and as you might expect there are a lot of orphans a lot of orphans left by the earthquake the death toll of 21,000 people in northern Syria and southeastern Turkey there are other stories of hope though there are still some rescues being made in Turkey over 80 hours after the quake hit 30 actually 16 year old Melda Adtas pulled out alive leaving her overjoyed father in tears and the grieving nation cheering a rare piece of good news 16 year old girl her father crying out my dear my dear as rescuers pulled the teen out of the rubble it took rescue workers five hours to save her life neighbors heard sounds from the splintered walls and that's what raised the alarm when rescuers discovered her she was stuck under a wall that had collapsed the man leading a rescue effort was one of a group of black sea miners who headed south to help out without him according to his co-workers the operation could not have been carried out you see as a miner what are you used to dealing with this was a guy who knew his way around dark narrow spaces these are folks who removed one obstacle after another with people looking on think about this this is four days in four days after the earthquake all of a sudden they reach this cold bruised young girl very much alive gently taking her to a waiting ambulance and once Melda was safely in the ambulance many hugged kissed and congratulated the rescuers and it was hard to hold back tears and all those workers saying we haven't worked for nothing we have pulled a girl from the rubble and what a story she will have to share for the rest of her life the acts of heroism in being able to reach her so many things had to come together to make this happen first of all the neighbors who heard the sounds from the rubble just being attentive how many times do we talk about this on this program just being attentive listening and thinking of the important role that person that neighbor played just by hearing and knowing that there was a live human being there who needed to be rescued so we wish the best for the 16 year old girl and this newborn baby that there will be some bright days ahead for them they will have bright futures ahead of them still to come in the broadcast we will talk about some of the things that President Biden communicated. A little fact-checking will take place. We will delve into that. The vice president under Donald Trump, Mike Pence, has received something he probably didn't care to receive. A subpoena from the special counsel investigating January 6th. Boy, this stuff just never ends, does it? As we continue our broadcast, stay with us. If you'd like to join the conversation, the GS Plumbing Talk Line, 800-928-1110, The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. And over on that text line... Do we have here? This story is very sad. While Americans kill and abort their own children without an earthquake, just shows how other countries value life. 
that is definitely a good thing. Certainly have a greater appreciation for it when you see tragedy like this unfold, right? Benchard Church helps to support a mission church in Syria. They're in the center of this tragedy. The building's damaged, not destroyed. They are taking in the homeless and the hungry. We're a small church, but no debt. We're able to send a very large monetary gift to our church family in Syria. That is absolutely awesome. Glad to hear that. Vince, another name to give that little girl would have been Miracle, because it's a miracle. She even made it through that ordeal. Praise the Lord that she did, and that she's got somebody able to take care of her. That is certainly a good thing, Jeff, for sure. Vince, these survivors are miracles because the weather conditions, they are absolutely terrible, too. They are. In the middle of winter like this, really horrendous conditions for those rescuers attempting to find and save who they can. As the opportunity for these kinds of rescues, the window is definitely closing. There's no question about that. I came across a very curious story. This is a story by Breitbart. And you'll be quite surprised when I tell you who it is. I'm going to skip the name at first. But I'll just tell you it's a former governor who believes President Joe Biden's making a big mistake in the way he's handling the southern border. In fact, this former governor admitted the southern states are right about the hardship opening the border would actually cause. By the way, this governor pardoned several illegal aliens with criminal convictions during his time as governor. He's now criticizing Biden's handling of the southern border crisis. He did this during a podcast, his own podcast called Matter of Fact. On this episode, he took an in-depth look at the problems of the U.S. southern border and the chaos it's creating for cities and states across the nation. I would just say parenthetically to you, and I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. When politics aren't involved, this is a very easy issue to address. It's very easy. I can't remember the exact quote, but what complicates this is money and power. When money and power are involved, it becomes very difficult for someone like this person I'm describing to do the right thing. Now, now that there's nothing at stake, he has nothing to lose, he can be honest. During this episode, he further said it was a mistake for President Biden to open the border without having a plan to handle the tremendous flow of people. Criticizing Biden for essentially removing Trump-era immigration policies without having a solid plan to handle the influx of migrants pouring over the southern border. Get a load of this. As of October 2022, 5.5 million individuals had been encountered at the southern border since Biden took office. Roughly 800,000 border crossers have been released into the United States without a court date since Biden took office. See, that alone is enough from my perspective. That alone is cause for somebody to be impeached. This is inexcusable. This former governor goes on. President Biden said he would do it in the campaign, but you can't change your policy unless you have the program in place to manage the change. Criticizing catch and release. This network has released tens of thousands of border crossers into the U.S. interior, a move most Americans oppose. Now, this former governor disagrees with states like Texas, busing border crossers to blue jurisdictions, but he admitted southern states were right. Opening the border created a tremendous hardship for them to handle. They were right. The federal government was not prepared, saying this is a federal problem, a federal responsibility. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? 
during his time in office, this governor was soft on illegal immigration, even approving budget deals, giving billions in taxpayer-funded benefits to illegal aliens who lost their jobs during the coronavirus. They're estimating more than a million jobs have been lost in New York. An estimated 80,000 New York businesses may not make it to the end of the Chinese coronavirus pandemic. Is that bad? This was the scene during this governor's leadership. Specifically, according to the New York Times, the state budget that this governor approved included $2.1 billion in taxpayer-funded one-time payments in the form of stimulus checks and unemployment-style benefits for about 187,000 illegal aliens. By the way, about $1.1 billion more than small businesses were set to get in grants and tax credits. Boy, isn't that a great deal. Many of them were forced to close because of this governor's economic lockdowns. You ready to know to find out who this governor was? None other than disgraced former New York governor Andrew Como. Now he's speaking truth when there's no consequence for it. Making very clear the federal government has botched and specifically President Joe Biden has botched the border issue. Now, I'm sure this is going to get very little attention. Now, if he went on the air and he started making derogatory comments about Donald Trump, well, he would probably be the lead story in the news. But nobody cares about that. (laughs) As you know, the president delivered his State of the Union address. And frankly, I was glad to see Republicans push back. Marjorie Taylor Greene coming right out and saying, this guy's a liar. He is. The Hill reporting President Biden's State of the Union address was full of lies and mistruths. Not a surprise, this man has a 38% job approval rating on the economy. 16% of the population better off than before he took office just 16 percent and most of his own party wants a different white house nominee for 2024 tells you a lot doesn't it coming up the hill did a really good piece on seven his seven biggest lies we'll go into those as we continue our friday broadcast stay with us Vince Coakley radio program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing talk line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning text line at 71307. Now back to Vince. And over on the text line, we have this. I'm so sick of hearing all the negative things about immigration. Why don't you talk about the positive side of immigration? Like what the immigrants the immigrants are doing because the lazy-ass Americans won't do it. <laughs> Alrighty. Vince, does the Select Committee on January 6th have any statute of limitations on issuing subpoenas? Or can they endlessly drag people into peering for interrogation? Well, if there is a statute of limitations, we aren't anywhere near it. I mean, think about it. We're talking about 2020. It's only 2023. (laughs) It's not going to take long. I should say 2021. But it's felt like an eternity. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
Then CNN showing this video of DeSantis when he was in Congress saying we should privatize Social Security and do away with Medicare. And they say he actually voted to increase Social Security to age 70 before you can start receiving it. It's amazing they didn't bring this out during his governor's election. Looks like they were saving it. Well, of course. When it can do the maximum amount of damage. That's what this is about. On the story about the former governor of New York. Interesting how crimes committed by leftist politicians are readily excused by a simple admission of apology. Serial killers affect fewer people than these politicians. Get some perspective. Hey, I'm fully with you on this. I would love to see some government reform. Remember what I had to say about after the police incident that occurred in Memphis? Remember what I said there? I think for certain incidents, the death penalty should be on the table. A couple of things I advocated for, expedited trials for people who are in positions of trust and power, mainly government. Expedited trials. So you do something crooked, you're a politician. No, we don't wait a year or two years. Maybe it's a matter of weeks before your case comes to trial. And if deaths are involved, yours has to be a possibility. I'm serious about this. Do you think it would cause some of these people to think a little bit more about what they're doing, whether they're cops on the street or whether they are governors sending old folks to back to nursing homes to die and spread infections and kill other people? Yeah, you better believe people would think about this a little bit more, wouldn't they? Right now, they don't have any consequence. Only we have the consequence because we end up paying these exorbitant settlements for the malfeasance, the corruption of people in positions of trust. As you know, not a big fan of this whole January 6th story, but you need to be aware of what has happened. Now it's Mike Pence who's been subpoenaed by the special counsel investigating Trump's role in January 6th. He has received this subpoena by the special counsel investigating former President Donald Trump's effort to stay in office after the 2020 election and his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. As you know, Merrick Garland appointed special counsel Jack Smith to this position. Now, to refresh your memory, it was a few months ago, ABC News did an interview with Mike Pence about that particular unforgettable day, unfortunately unforgettable day, when the Capitol was stormed. Here is a short clip from that conversation from Mike Pence. Members were barricaded inside the House chamber. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of it all, you can see that the president has tweeted. 2.24 p.m., the president tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. It angered me. But I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby, and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. And again, Mike Pence, now subpoenaed by the special counsel investigating January 6th. Where this goes, who knows? I love Babylon B. Quick item here. <laughs> You remember the incident the other day, the little sparring that took place between Mitt Romney and George Santos. George Santos, the Republican, who's pretty much lied about anything and everything. Babylon B. Tensions 
among Republican members of Congress on the rise after Utah Senator Mitt Romney confronted New York Congressman George Santos in the House chamber prior to President Biden's State of the Union address Tuesday night, with Romney reportedly telling Santos there's only room for one fake Republican in Congress. (laughs) Who does he think he is, Romney was heard, asking his staffers in the hallways of the Capitol. There are some of us who've worked our entire lives to be fake conservatives. We're the ones who've earned the right to sell out the Republican Party, not this two-bit fly-by-night con artist. When reached for comment, Congressman Santos seemed to take the high road. Well, I'm disappointed to hear this from mid after the years I spent working as a Mormon missionary with his father. I understand that I'm one of the new faces on Capitol Hill. Santos said to reporters, I'm coming in at the bottom of the totem pole, and I have to prove myself. When I helped Steve Jobs start Apple in his garage in the mid-70s, it was the same thing. When told of Santos's comments, Romney was not amused. This guy gives dishonest politicians a bad name, and I won't stand for it. Romney said George Santos, if that is indeed his real name, needs to leave the lying and fake conservative act to the experts. At publishing time, Senator Romney was hard at work preparing an articulate speech that would simultaneously vilify Santos and pledge deep personal loyalty to strong conservative values that he would immediately abandon and vote against at the soonest opportunity. Ouch. Irony is ironic, isn't it? Little Babylon B fun with George Santos and Mitt Romney. Still to come in the broadcast closer to home, update on Clemson University and their controversial bake sale. More as we continue our broadcast. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, over on that text line, I assume this person agreeing with Babylon B. Vince, I absolutely agree with your comments. Vince, old George doesn't hold a candle to lying Biden. He has over 40 years of experience in lying. Yes, he does. Didn't Romney vote for the omnibus? How much money was in there for abortion, leaving the border open? whole lot more liberal policies. Give us an answer, Senator Liberal Romney. And this, what's the world coming to when a bake sale makes the news and is controversial? (laughs) Clemson University, we told you about this, the Affirmative Action Bake Sale. They do this on a regular basis. Well, a week after this event, university leaders held a town hall to discuss what happened. (laughs) This is too funny. Yesterday was a chance for students to voice their discomfort with the bake sale and to educate students on what can and cannot happen on university grounds. Now, leaders with Clemson's chapter of Turning Point USA said it was a way to show people the problems with affirmative action. However, some students in the demonstration made them feel unsafe, uncomfortable, and undervalued. Well, cry me a freaking river. Really? So on Thursday, Clemson leaders answered questions about the First Amendment, rules on tabling, and if any disciplinary action can be taken for situations like this. A lot of students asked for Clemson to make a statement acknowledging the bake sale that took place and what action they're taking. One student saying, we just want something tangible, a statement at least. They told us plenty of times at this point that they can't actually sanction them or do anything. I think there's more they can do that they're not doing. They're just trying not to ruffle feathers. This is hilarious. But the folks with Clemson Turning Point USA chapter believe the university is doing the right thing simply by not saying anything at all. What do they need to say? Taylor Rogers saying the university issued a statement. Issuing a statement whether they are for or against affirmative action or whether they support our organization or support the other voices that don't support our organization would inherently involve them picking a side. 
they make a great point. The position, the appropriate position for the school is to be neutral. Allow people with different voices to communicate their messages. It's really that simple. So it's apparent nothing's going to change here. There is discussion about holding another town hall with members of admissions to talk about the Clemson admission process and how they're trying to make Clemson more diverse. Kind of amusing. Let's talk about Joe Biden and his lies, shall we? You ready for them? We're going to zip through these. Reported by The Hill. Take-home pay has gone up. Truth is, real wages have fallen every month for nearly two straight years under this administration. Historic inflation, swamping nominal wages, and destroys living standards. Annual inflation rising 50% faster than average wages. The truth is, Americans are getting poor. We're reminded of this every time we visit the grocery store, where prices have increased by 20% since Biden took office. Two We created a record 12 million jobs. Ha! Good one. Biden tries to count the jobs backfilled post-pandemic as new jobs. But these positions were already created, merely temporarily abandoned due to COVID-19. In reality, Biden's created 2.7 million net new jobs above what Donald Trump created. And that's only 60% of the 4.5 million net new jobs Trump created in his first two years in office. So another lie. I've presided over the biggest deficit reduction in American history. Another lie. Biden has presided over the largest two-year deficit, 4.2 trillion in American history. (laughs) This is crazy, isn't it? Two years ago, our economy was reeling. Truth is, President Trump presided over the fastest economic recovery in American history. The economy expanding by 11% his last six months in office. Unfortunately, instead of simply continuing Trump's policies and riding his coattails to a rapid resurgence, Biden seized the opportunity to pass several trillion dollars worth of unnecessary spending that fueled, there you go, inflation. And now you and I bear the burden. Oil companies have invested too little of their profit to increase in the domestic production and keep gas prices down. Well, oil companies would like to expand production to take advantage of high oil prices. But the Biden administration's green energy policies make this difficult. According to Heritage Foundation energy analyst Katie Tubb, the administration's proposed or finalized regulations that restrict nearly every aspect of the oil industry. Financing and private sector investment, exploration and production, pipeline construction, operation, consumer use. Biden has issued the fewest drilling permits since the end of World War II. As a result, oil production is still lower than before the pandemic, and gas prices far higher. Surprise, surprise. Now, thanks to all we've done, we're exporting American products. That's another lie. The wealthy don't pay their fair share We've been over this so many times. (sighs) Same, same class warfare garbage. Straight ahead, we have Faith Focus Friday. Very special one. I hope you stay with us for that straight ahead. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, a voice of reason, an oasis of civility and humanity. I'm on a journey, the pursuit of truth, not just facts to fill the head, but also life-changing power to change hearts and transform minds. A journey of relationship, to connect to people of goodwill everywhere, to build upon civil society, to transcend tribal divisions with timeless values and love. A growing coalition of choice, not coercion. Are you with me? This is the Vince Copley Radio Program. If you listen to this program with regularity, you know that I believe one of the primary foundations of the country, the thing that holds this thing together, 
is the presence of Christian influence, without which I think our decline into self-destruction is much more rapid. That's not the only reason that I believe we need to see a genuine revival. It's not a word that I like, to be honest with you. Because so many times, revivals associated with special church services. I'm not interested in special church services. I want to see a true restoration of the church. And by that I mean, for the church to be genuinely passionate about God and about people. Through and through. And as a result of this, we'll have a transformative impact on society. It's possible I may actually save some of this for future broadcasts because the things that Tim Keller addresses, and I'm going to be intentional about posting this on the Facebook pages for these radio stations because I think it's something as if you are a Christian believer, I urge you to read this and share this because this is right on the money. It's an article that appeared in the Atlantic. American Christianity is due for a revival. He talks about the fact that he joined the Presbyterian ministry in the mid-70s, serving in a town outside of Richmond, Virginia. New church buildings were going up constantly. In fact, when he arrived in Manhattan in the late 80s, he saw a startling sight on the corner of 6th and 20th, a beautiful Gothic revival brownstone built in 1844 that had once been the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Now, it was the limelight an epicenter of the downtown club scene. Thousands of people, thousands a night, showing up for drugs and sex and the possibility of close encounters with the famous of the cultural avant-garde. But the bigger picture here, this is a vivid symbol of a culture that had rejected Christianity. Tim goes on, I started to notice repurposed church buildings all over the city. They were now condominiums, gyms, art galleries, coffee shops, pubs, and clubs. A trend continued as my time in the city went on. In 2014, the New York Archdiocese of the Catholic Church announced it was closing dozens of empty church buildings. And hundreds of other Protestant congregations faced dwindling membership and were unable to maintain their church homes. In moving to New York City, I entered a different world than the one I'd known in Virginia. Here, society was secularizing. Religion in general, and Christianity in particular, were in sharp decline. By 1989, my family and I started Redeemer, a new church in Manhattan. We faced cultural attitudes toward Christianity that ran from deep indifference to mockery to shouting out loud hostility. I can tell you by my experience... I'm really finding a lot of the latter. Shouting out loud hostility. Meanwhile, in the middle of the country, churches continue to multiply and some grew to enormous sizes. What I've experienced in New York for decades is now spread across the country. As of 2021, the number of religious nuns, we've talked about that on this program, people who don't identify with any established religion in the U.S. has grown nearly 30% of the population. While professing Christians constituted their 63% down from 75 only a decade ago. The Pew Research Center recently projected the future of this trend. In three of its four scenarios, the percentage of Christians plunges to less than half the population by 2070. And in none does the trend reverse and the church grow. Should we expect to see most Church buildings in the country repurposed or torn down? Is it inevitable? We'll become an ex-Christian society. Or could the church experience a renewal? Why should anyone besides Christians like me care whether the church revives? Many Americans would say the fate of the church is inconsequential to them. Others want very much to see the church continue to shrink. And Tim Keller says both of these perspectives are mistaken. One of the things I appreciate 
and I love the way Tim Keller does this, is he brings in secular thinkers who recognize the importance of spiritual influence. Many secular social theorists, including Emily Durkheim and Jonathan Haidt, to name two, show how religion makes contributions to society that cannot be readily supplied by other sources. Cultural unity. Durkheim argued in the 1890s requires a conscience collective, a set of shared moral norms that bind us together in a sustained way. These norms are understood to be grounded in something sacred and transcendent. You notice how I use that word a lot? Transcendent? Not created by culture. Durkheim recognized the difficulties secular cultures have in cultivating moral beliefs that are strong and unquestionable enough to unite people. Where are we in society now? How do we determine morals, ethics? Well, it's based on what I feel today. And that could change tomorrow. You can't build on that. Consider the evolution of America. In the classic 1985 book, Habits of the Heart, the sociologist Robert Bella and his two co-authors showed that the social history of the United States made it the most individualistic culture in the world. American culture elevates the interests of the individual over those of family, community, and nation. Yet for two centuries, Americans' religious devotion counterbalanced this individualism with denunciations of self-centeredness and calls to love your neighbor. How many times have I talked about that on this program? You take spiritual moorings away from individualism you heard Rush all the time talk about rugged individualism. You take spiritual dimensions out of that, you have a mess. The church demanded charity and compassion for the needy. It encouraged young people to confine sexual expression to marriage. It encouraged spouses to stick to their vows. Bella wrote that American individualism now largely freed from the counterbalance of religion is headed towards social fragmentation, economic inequality, family breakdown, and many other dysfunctions. Is this not what we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen? And this is my concern for so many secularists who think you can restore the country without spiritual foundations. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. At a local level, churches provide community and support to people in their congregations who lack strong family ties or other kinds of emotional and social support. They also serve neighbors who do in poor neighborhoods. We're going to talk more about this. American Christianity due for a revival. We'll continue that as we continue our broadcast. Stay with us. I'm sharing this really powerful piece by Tim Keller. American Christianity is due for a revival. In fact, I've posted this. This is such important material. This is one of those defining articles that I really believe every Christian ought to read. I've posted this on the Facebook pages for 106.3 WRD in Greenville and 10 WBT here in Charlotte. So you can read it, please read it, and share it. And I've already decided, because of the meat in this, we're going to address this, probably continue on Tuesday, for Transformation Tuesday. Because this material is so, so important. I've been talking with you about how Christianity has an impact on society. 
There's some really good texts here thus far, too. Some of you have received this well. Let's start with this one. Evangelicals and, by extension, Christianity lost the majority of an entire generation with their full-throated embrace of Donald Trump. I, I'm serious, folks. This, I was profoundly disgusted to watch the so-called evangelical leaders basically pucker on the rear end of Donald Trump. And, and it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who it is. But when you're clamoring for attention and for acceptance and approval, especially from someone so corrupt, and I know that's going to tick some people off, we've got to keep a healthy distance from politics and politicians. And sometimes we don't do that. In our desire to, quote, win, we have sold our souls. This texture says just that American Christianity has sold its soul to politicians and capitalism. The hypocrisy of their religiousness can never be erased, and only the naive and gullible accept it. Funny, the only time the country embraces God is when we experience another 9-11 type event. We flock to God for a while, then it's back to the same old, yes it is. Church falling apart today because there are too many hypocrites in the church. We're worried about the wrong things. We're worried about who's sleeping with whom and what Sally's wearing instead of focusing on the word of God. That's Chris out of Shelby. Ooh, that's brutal. Vince, I wholeheartedly agree with your description of what's needed in this country. A true revival. This responsibility falls on all of us as Christians which is the church we need to demonstrate the love and humility Jesus showed during his, his ministry. If we all lived in the manner Jesus did loving all, it would be much harder for non-Christians to not see a better life. Just a thought. Thank you for often, often bringing, and where's the rest of this message? Because it's so good. Oh, bringing Jesus into your daily messages. Please keep it up. Yes. Love him or hate him, Trump was the only president who brought Christians to the table. Oh, goodness. This is not about personalities. You, you've missed the point. The point of it is that these leaders were so desperate to be at that table. And what they sold out to is the problem. Temporary political affirmation. That's what gets us into trouble, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue. More than 20 years ago, University of Pennsylvania study of Philadelphia congregations concluded congregations are vital to the social fabric of Philadelphia and take a major role in caring for the needs of people in the neighborhoods. The study authors estimated the replacement cost of churches to communities and government would be about $250 million annually. That's in 2001 dollars in the Philadelphia metro area alone. While revival of the church would benefit society, that will never happen if the church thinks of itself as just another social service agency. Christians seek spiritual renewal for the church not because they see religion as having social utility, nor because they want to shore up their own institutions. First and foremost, Christianity helps society because its metaphysical claims are true. They are not true because Christianity helps society. When Christians lose sight of this, the church's power and durability are lost. This is so important. We cannot just be reduced to another wonderful social service agency. We are not just that. So Tim Keller asks, so can Christianity grow again? Yes, it can. Even the Pew Report concedes events outside the study's model could lead to a revival of Christianity. The events mentioned include immigration patterns or religious innovations. Then we start getting into the nitty-gritty. Are you ready for this, folks? And I want you to listen, not just with your head, but with your heart. Tim Keller says, first, as I see it, growth can happen if the church learns how to speak compellingly to non-Christian people. Boy, we screw this up badly. For a millennium, 
Western institutions instilled in most citizens Christian beliefs about morality and sex, God and sin, and afterlife. If non-Christian people entered a church, what they heard was likely not strange or offensive to them. That's changed. But the church has not yet learned how to communicate to outsiders. As a result, most evangelical churches can reach only the shrinking and aging enclaves of socially conservative people. This is very important, folks, because I got news for you, especially a lot of these younger people coming up. They are not socially conservative. And we are not any, any even in the universe of talking their language. But change is possible in our church in Manhattan. Over the years, we've learned to reach young secular progressives by adopting the way St. Paul told the good news to nonbelievers in his own day. As described in 1 Corinthians 1, to 24, he affirmed their best aspirations and longings, yet challenged the inadequate ways in which they were seeking to realize these hopes and redirected them toward Jesus Christ. See, this is important. What's the starting place? Affirming their best aspirations. Remember what I just recently had this conversation about the importance of us affirming people's humanity. This is not where many of us start. Too many people were off to the races to challenge people on their beliefs and their ideas. And frankly, in some cases, just downright condemn people. And then we wonder why they don't want to listen to us. I wouldn't want to listen to us either. I am going to go into a little more of this. And again, this has been posted on the Facebook pages for these radio stations. 106.3 WRD, also News Talk 1110 WBT. We'll touch on a little bit more of this. And a couple of other items for Faith Focus Friday as we continue our Friday broadcast. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing Talk Line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line at 71307. Now, back to Vince. Here's an interesting text for you in response to what I've shared about the need for a revival in the church. As long as pastors continue to consider themselves as political and tell people how to vote from the pulpit, complete with slides and PowerPoint presentations, and demonize the other half the population as evil, who in their right mind would stick around for even one more sermon? Hmm. If they fall into just one of those demonized categories of people, we left the church the very next day when we witnessed just that. And it happens in more churches than you can imagine. I'm not surprised at all. Not in the least bit. Hmm. Let us see what else we have here. There was another one I was looking to share here. A lot of the churches today are not evangelical, therefore do not know how to speak to the outsider or the lost. Seems most so-called men of God are teaching prosperity, feel good, don't offend anyone messages. Yeah, that's another problem. Vince, the problem is the American church has associated itself. MAGA Republicans, a lot of people, including myself, see them as racist, Hispanic-hating white supremacists. Who wants to associate with those types of people? Can I just suggest to you, by the way, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I would also suggest what I read in your text is very reactionary and very... Um, overly self-conscious. I want to challenge you in the spirit of Christ to go and talk to some of these people. You, I'm not telling you to stay where you are, whatever it is. 
but have a conversation. Humbly ask someone, hey, what about Jesus? Because the truth of the matter is, a lot of these people really are clueless. You start asking that question, they'll look like a deer in headlights. Because for many people, it's never been about Jesus. And I'm talking professing, professing Christians. And even if it has been about Jesus, it stopped being about him a long time ago. This happened to me in a conversation with a good friend of mine. Dear friend of mine who's in ministry. I hadn't talked to him in years. And the most of the passion I heard from him was about politics. I was a little concerned. And I get it. Because I'm just being honest. It was very obvious the early part of our conversation spiritually, things with the church are not really going too good. And there's a reason for that. The life of God is so lacking. And so we've had to turn to something else. Yes, you hear what I'm talking about. <laughs> we were talking about the change that's necessary. And the first thing is learning how to speak to non-Christian people. The second, the church in the U.S. can grow again if it learns how to unite justice and righteousness. This is important. I've heard African-American pastors use this terminology to describe the historic ministry of the black church. By righteousness, they meant the church has maintained its traditional beliefs in the authority of the Bible, morality, and sexuality. It calls individuals to be born again through faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. By justice, they meant the church has an activist stance against all forms of oppression. White Protestant churches in America tend to pick one or the other. Liberal mainline Protestantism stresses justice, but has largely jettisoned ancient affirmations of the Christian creeds, like the pre-existence and divinity of Jesus, the bodily resurrection, the authority of the Bible. Evangelicalism stresses righteousness and traditional values, but many congregations are indifferent or even hostile toward work against injustice. However, if the church at large could combine these two ideas the way the black church has, it can begin to rebuild both credibility and relevance, rebutting the charge it's merely another political power broker. A church that unites justice and righteousness does not fit with the left on abortion and sexual ethics or with the right on race and justice. Instead, it's a community that addresses the timeless longings of all people for meaning, hope, love, and salvation. Do you hear what I'm saying here? And I'm going to stop here because this, this content is way too important. I see this all the time. The liberal churches, they're the ones who focus on so-called social justice. And many of them have jettisoned foundational messages of the gospel. They don't believe in the gospel. They're liberal. That's unhealthy. Then on the other hand, you have your so-called evangelical churches. They're very strong on the fundamentals of the faith. But they completely ignore the issue of justice. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I do not believe in social justice. There's a difference. Justice is justice. It doesn't need a modifier on it. Why do we have to let the left have this issue? Just like what happened in Memphis. Is it really difficult for you as a conservative to take a stand against police brutality? You ought to. This is why I say we need to be transcended. We should not be able to be put into a box in a corner somewhere and told this is where you are. You fit neatly. No, we should not fit in neatly into anybody's box. And nobody should feel comfortable that they have our full-throated endorsement. Can I repeat that again? Nobody should feel comfortable that we have, that they have our full-throated endorsement. Which means we're going to call people out when they're wrong. We're going to celebrate when they make good choices. This is very important. Because what comes across, and, and I, I'm, I'm just thinking about a friend of mine right now, for instance, who uh, spiritually, I, I, she's impeccable. But on these issues of so-called social justice, she's gone completely down the road of buying into the left's 
narrative, which is rooted in, frankly, profoundly anti-Christian ideas. She doesn't understand that. So I'm saying part of what we have to do as Christians in our cross-pollination is to help each other stay away from the extremes. The left needs to, those of you who are more on the liberal side, need to help those of us who are conservative for, from, from frankly being heartless on issues of justice. And those of us on the so-called right, we need to challenge those people who claim to be on the left. Do you even believe in Jesus? Do you even believe in the foundations? And if you substituted a social gospel for the real one, we know because the other things are, are equally hard hitting. Stay with us. Vince Coakley radio program. One final thing for Faith Focus Friday. This one's kind of fun. I love this. I think many of you have heard that this is a Super Bowl with two, two black quarterbacks. You may not have heard. We've actually got two openly Christian quarterbacks against one another in this showdown. Were you aware of that? Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts gives God all the credit for his athletic success, insisting he tries to keep his faith front and center. I've just matured and realized God is everything. He's worthy of praise. You have to put him at the center of everything you do. That's what I believe. All my spiritual wisdom, all of my wisdom as a whole comes from him in some way, shape, or form, whether that's passed down for my father, my mother, grandmother. I just think at all the things we experience in life, good, bad, or indifferent, you have to keep him in the center. God only made me one way. That is to be me. He adds, being in the city, being the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, just having the opportunity to play the game I love most in the best city of football. I just go out there every day, I'm who I am. I keep God in the center. Give him the praise. Lean on him all the time. Everything unfolds the way it's supposed to. On Sunday, Hertz will come face-to-face with another openly Christian athlete, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, who told reporters last Monday, my Christian faith plays a role in everything I do. I mean, I always ask God to lead me in the right direction. Let me be who I am for his name. It has a role in everything I do. Obviously, he'll be on a huge stage in the Super Bowl he's given me, and I want to make sure I'm glorifying him while I do it. Following the Chiefs' 23-20 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game January 29th, the 27-year-old quarterback also pointed to God as his source of strength and grounding. First of all, I want to thank God. This is after the game, which involved playing with an ankle sprain. He healed my body this week to battle through that, giving me the strength to be out there. After winning his first regular season MVP in the 2018-19 season, Mahomes thanked God, saying that without him, none of this would even be here. Faith has always been big with me. Adding, as long as I'm doing everything the right way, the way he would want me to do it, I can walk off the field with my head held high and be able to be the man that I am. He's given me a lot of blessings in my life. I'm trying to maximize them and glorify him. I think that's exciting. No matter what the outcome of the game is, I really like the spirit and heart of these two guys. And... I think many of you will be encouraged to hear that as well about who these folks are. Just genuinely 
good guys who have a heart for God. How about we check out a look of the day in history before we get out of here. Christopher, how are you today? Doing well, Vince. Happy Friday. Same to you. 1763 is our first one. After seven years, the French and Indian Wars came to an end with the Paris Treaty. It's good to see an end of some war. Maybe we can see an end of another one here that's going on right now with us. 1962. These two countries swap spies after the Francis Gary Powers U-2 spy plane incident. Interesting, we're talking about spies and flying of some sort. What are the two countries involved in this It was swap? the United States and Soviet Union, wasn't and it? And the Soviet Union is correct. 1966, Vietnam War protester David Miller, he was convicted of burning something. A lot of people did in that era. What did he burn? A joint. Ah! I knew you were going to say something silly. The hint was about Vietnam War. I think they burned the flag. Oh, actually? A bra? Draft card. Draft card. Well, there are lots of things burning in the 60s. Yeah, you got that right. The funny thing is is what you said first, that was probably one of the most popular answers. It could have prevented the war. Yeah, if more people were, well... I better leave that alone. I'm going to get all kinds of nasty calls. No. 1992, this boxer convicted of rape, sentenced to 10 years, four of those years suspended. Who was this boxer? Well, it wasn't Joe Frazier. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't one of the classy ones from way back. It was Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. He's had his problems. 1992, he's had a few issues here and there. 1996, this was not a human being. There's a big hint. Beat Gary Kasparov in their first chess match. It was a uh, supercomputer. I don't know. The, yeah, I don't was, know its title. You, know. You, which you don't need to. IBM's Deep Blue is the name. Okay. 1996 is when that happened. And I'm sure you never watched this show. I'm assuming final episode of Arrested Development aired on Fox TV. Um, the show may have ended, but I'll tell you what. A lot of the people I meet out there. There's a whole lot of arrested development going on. Just saying. Time's up. Have yourselves a great weekend, and God bless you, Lord willing. We're back on Monday. Adios.